I, I, I did not catch all the services, but I was able to catch most of them. There's a few that I could not, could not get to, um, but I appreciate it, and, and thank you very much. Psalm 119, starting at verse 137 this morning. All right, verse 137 says, Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. Thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. My zeal hath consumed me, because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. I am small and despised, yet do not I forget thy precepts. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. Trouble and and anguish have taken hold on me. Now get this. Yet thy commandments are my delights. The righteousness of thy testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding, and I shall live. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, I ask your blessing upon the message this morning. Please, Lord, I pray for your mercy, your grace, your help. Control what I say and and how I say it, Lord. Help me to stay true to your word. May you use it to, to, to strengthen, to encourage, to help, to meet the needs that are here. And Lord, I do pray if anyone is here who has never truly been converted, Lord, that they're still in a condition to where if they died, they would spend an eternity in hell. Lord, I pray for that conviction this morning, the drawing that even today they would repent and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, may you be glorified. I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. When we're in school, or even even in the Bible college, I know when I left, I had to give a midterm exam out when I left for the New Testament history course. And and uh, I, you know, whenever you're usually in any type of, uh, of educational course, there's usually tests that go along with it, a series of quizzes and tests. And, and the, the idea behind it is simply this, that, that they're trying to determine if you have an understanding, a comprehension of what is being taught. And so they come up with a, a test to say, okay, here is the test. We've been teaching now for several weeks. Let's see if you get it. And you do the test. The psalmist in Psalm 119, um, this is a great, great section here. Of course, it's a great psalm. You know, I have preached through this psalm going back to 2018 is when that took place. And uh, we don't know exactly who wrote it, uh, whether that was David or Ezra or Daniel. Those are the three leading candidates. And I, I lean very strongly towards Ezra as the author of the of the. A chapter of Psalm 119 for a lot of different reasons. You can go back and, and listen to the series on Psalm 119, and I cover why I tend to believe Ezra is the author of this psalm. But whoever the psalmist is, when this psalm was written, he was undergoing tremendous amount of trials and testing in his life. He is going through some serious tests. And what the tests are revealing, what they're showing is, where this man's understanding of God is. All right, that's what it's revealing. It is showing us what he has learned about God. This man has been put in a position where he is going to find out 
if he has built his life on sand or on a rock. He is finding out what his foundation is. Where if God's will hasn't been genuine and true in his life, if, if, it's, if, if it hasn't been something, if it's something that he's just played with, it's going to be revealed. And he finds out, as we're going to see in this psalm, that his life absolutely has been built upon a rock with everything that he is facing. The purpose here in this text is going to show us really how to use God's Word in your life because many times how to be practical with the Bible eludes us. We know it, we believe it to be God's Word, but to have an actual effect in our life, and many times that's where the breakdown comes in. You're going to see an example right here in those few verses we read with a man that's under tremendous trial of how practical and how he used God's Word. When he's undergoing this test, which is revealing what he understood about God and how he applied God's Word to strengthen him during the trial. It wasn't just a religious book to him. We'll see how God's Word can help us in a very real way, a practical way every day. So you know how to use it in your life. I put this in three different areas. Um, We're going to see the foundation, the force, and the fruit. The foundation that he built upon, the force or effect that it had on him as a result of this foundation, and then the fruit or results that God's Word produced in his life. So let's start off with, we see the foundation in the first couple of verses of this text. Let me read those. I'm going to read three verses here. Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. Thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. Now 142. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. How I want you to look at these verses right now, and this is so important that you grasp this. We are seeing the foundation for this man's life. We're seeing how he used God's word. We all know how important the foundation is to any structure. I mean, when at the church in Kudu Kudu, we had built a, a separate house for Sunday school, and I would also use it when I was doing um, discipleship, one-on-one discipleship. A simple structure, just, just a bush structure that we had put up, but we had no choice. We're, we're right on the beach area. I mean, it's a very narrow island, so we built it on the sand. That became very evident that we built upon the sand. As time went on, as, it probably didn't take it 18 months, and it was level when we made it, but within 18 months it was like this. When you walked in, you were kind of walking up it to the side. And then finally we had a good storm hit, which is common. We're, we're, we're in the middle of the South Pacific. We had a storm hit. I show up, and of course it's down and it has, it has crumbled simply because it was built upon sand. Now when we built that, we didn't put a lot into it. We knew here in a couple of years we're just going to have to rebuild this thing Again, foundation in your life is so important. I've given these out before in another message, but looking at the world's tallest building, the Burj Khalifa in Dubai, building opened on January 4, 2010. That building stands 2,717 feet tall. 
by far, by more than 600 feet, if I remember, the world's tallest structure. It is literally double the height of the renowned Empire State Building. But that's still impressive. Think about this in the day we live in. The Empire, this, this, I'm getting on a rabbit trail here. Sorry, you're going to get out this miscellaneous fact real quick. That was built in 1930. That thing at the time was the tallest. They were trying to get to 100 floors. I think it ended up with like 103, 104 stories in it at the time. Built in 1930. From moment one of construction to opening day of that building, which was enormous for the time. It was incredible. It was only 13 months. 13 months was opening day from the day they, broke, they started construction on it. That's impressive. We need them to come build our camp building is all I know. <clears throat> but this structure here, the world's tallest building, can hold 12,000 people in it. It was a cost of $1.5 billion in 2010. It has many world records. I'm not going to get into all those, but 160 uh, floors are in this building. What I think is neat to ride on the elevator in. The elevator goes 40 miles per hour when you're in this thing, which is the world's fastest elevator, by the way. 40 miles an hour. That's, that's, that's impressive. Perhaps, though, the most impressive thing about this structure is what you don't see. The foundation that is holding that thing in place. That is incredible. The foundation for this structure extends 164 feet into the ground. They ended up using for the foundation 58,900 cubic yards of concrete. That's enormous. Now the truth is, you can build two structures and they can look very similar. But if one has a weak foundation, you just allow something to come up. Winds, a storm, something to happen. And it will be very clear which structure was built on a proper foundation. What we're going to see here in, with the psalmist, with the verses I just read, with this first point, with the foundation, there's three things that he gives that were the foundation to his life, and they're critical for us as well. When, uh, I never really worked with concrete at all before going to New Guinea. Just a few times helping somebody out, uh, that was it. Probably a total hours of three hours working with concrete before I went to P&G. And within my first 60 days in PNG, I, I had worked probably 80 hours now with concrete. And I did not like it at all. I did not. I still don't. Um, there, you, ha- you have to mix concrete, as you know. All right? You just can't pick up a phone and order a truck and say, could you bring concrete here? It doesn't work that way. So I had to go find sand, load that in my truck, and bring it to the location. Then I had to go find the stones that would be needed. And that's not going to a store. I mean, going out like into the ground to find stones and put them in the truck and then get the cement in the bags and then mix them together. And I still remember getting the rate, trying to figure out the ratio. I messed it up initially several times, but I still remember what it was. I would do one shovel scoop of cement, two sand, three stone. And so I would take one shovel, boom, there's one of cement, and then, and then the sand, and then the stone, and then keep that up until I got a good, nice pile, then mix all that together over and over, put a hole in it, pour water in it, mix, 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 stir, stir, all with shovels and with hand, and then quickly grab buckets and dump that thing in whatever I'm doing. But there were times, like underneath my house, I was patching one time, and I put too much sand in the mix. 
it hardly lasted a few months. It was already crumbling. Why? Because the mix was wrong. Well, when it comes to the foundation of your life, you need the mix right. Okay? You do. We're going to look at three things here. And these things need to be equal in your life. As far as the foundation goes when it comes to God's word. So please follow this. I think it can be a tremendous help because he does give us what was the foundation to his life. Look at verse 137. Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. He is just telling us, he says, this is what I know. This is what I'm going to hold to. This is what I find to be true. This is part of the foundation of the psalmist's life. One, that God is righteous and his judgments are right. When he looked at God's word, he determined when he thought on the creator himself, what he knew is God is righteous. God is always right. That needs to be a foundation in your life that you just determine ahead of time. This is my foundation. Whatever storm or trial that I'm going to face, whatever's going to come up in my life, I will know this, that God is always right. That needs to be a foundation in your life. This was part of his concrete mix for his foundation. You have to settle that God is right, even if you don't understand. Because if you know Psalm 119, when we went through it, you see it over and over. He did not understand why he was going through the level of difficulty he was. But nobody determined it was the foundation for that. That didn't cause him to sway. God is righteous. His judgments are right. He held to that. Boy, can this protect you from bitterness coming in? This can protect you from just becoming, allowing the difficulties just to... Sometimes if you're not careful, the difficulties of life can sort of just make you numb. You're just there. You're just there. But when you have the right foundation in place when things hit, and part of that foundation has to be that you determine ahead of time. Listen, this is what I will know. This will be a foundation of my life, that God is always right. This gives you strength for your trial. You're settled. You're solid. The protection from bitterness is in place. So the times that God does not intervene like you believe He should, and that's human nature. It's not that those thoughts don't come. They will come. It's where you're settled, though. No, the foundation of my life is this. Even though God has not intervened, even though He hasn't answered this the way that I want Him to, you determine, listen, God is always right. Let me give you an example. The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians, the thorn in the flesh. Besought the Lord three times. He did not have understanding when he was praying why God was saying no. I'm not removing it. It's staying. When he finally did gain understanding from the Lord as to why the Lord was allowing a thorn in his flesh, now his prayer changes, doesn't it? Lord, don't move it. Keep it. When he, when he understood the Lord was using this one to keep me humble for grace, I mean, all the abundance of revelations that has been given unto me, I see how God is using it. But he still trusted in the Lord when he didn't have that understanding. 
So even if you don't understand, this has to be foundational in your life. Or know what's going to happen? You're going to sway bad. You're going to sway because the foundation isn't strong. Let's look at the second part of his foundation. And there, there's others here in the, in the notes, by the way, too, that another one to think about before I go on to that. It just caught my eye now. Um, where it was swaying horribly and not realizing God is always right. And that is the sister of Lazarus, Mary. Remember that when her brother died? Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. They sent for his help. He waited two days before he even moved. And he's already dead. But little did they have, they did not have the understanding of why God was doing what he was doing. But if the foundation had been in place, regardless of what happens, God is right. He has a reason for it. Trust him. The second is in verse 138. Here's another part of the foundation of the psalmist's life. Thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. We see here his trust in God's word. The second part of the foundation is this, that God is faithful to his word. So he adds to this mix, if you will, of one God is always right, that God's word is also always right, and he's faithful to it. So now it wasn't just the part of the foundation to trust in God as, as a person, in who God is, and what he allows in my life, God is right. But now he also has God's word in place, and he says, you know what, I have determined this is foundational, that God's word is also right, and not only that, God is faithful to it. He, said, he, he didn't question You see, you don't have to wonder, when, you, when this is foundational, you don't have to wonder, did God actually create the world in six days? He did. His word is always right. If that's foundational in your life, you're not going to be swayed. We are to take the Bible literal unless it tells us not to. It's foundational. Yes, I, that's what he said. This is what I've determined. This, is, this book is true. It is right. And God is faithful to it. You don't have to wonder if God is in control with everything going on right now. Because God's word is right. And it tells us he is in control. You don't have to wonder, can I really cast all my care upon him, as his word says? Yes, you can. His word is always right. Now often, because our flesh is, we all know how wicked and vile our flesh is. Often, often at times, we often want to doubt the validity of God's word at times. Say, how so? When it goes against what you want to do. Is that not true? No, you've got to be settled. Regardless, it is true. It's true. It's more that it's just that it's right. But as he said, it's that God is faithful to it. God is faithful to every single promise given in his word. Every single one. 
God will be faithful to His mercy. God will be faithful to His loving kindness. God will be faithful faithful to His chastisement. God will be faithful uh, to every single promise that is given. He will stay faithful to it. And the psalmist trusted in it. He had to with what he was facing. He had to be, listen, I'm settled in this. God is always right. His word is true and he's faithful to it. I will trust in that. I might not know the timing. I might not understand. But this is true in my life. Thirdly, he settled, as we saw in verse 142, that God's word is truth. We looked at that in the Women of Virtue yesterday in the third session. I mean, starting off in John chapter 18 with Pilate. A man who was living his life apart from actual truth, the majority of his life, was living for ambition, perhaps a power position. I I don't know all the inside, not I have to speculate as to what motivated him to where he was, but the common things in human nature is either ambition, power, money, pleasure, whatever it might have been, but he obtained a great position. For his day. But the day came because he wasn't operating in truth when all that crumbled before him. And two years after he is standing before the Lord uh, Jesus Christ, when Christ is on trial, and, the, and he asked that question to him, What is truth? And he didn't mean it. He wasn't looking for an answer. I believe he turned away. He, his point was he no longer believed that you could actually know truth. Just like our day today, people view it as relative. You have your own truth, I have my own truth. That's nonsense. That's because Christ just, when Christ responded to him, he knew exactly what Pilate needed to hear. I come to bear witness of the truth. Knowing the, the struggle in that man's mind. And all the conflict and all that he had seen himself in human nature and the things he had done as, as things are progressing in his life. And again, at, two years after this, he would take his own life and commit suicide. God's word just doesn't contain truth. It is truth. We have it. It gives direction then. It gives guidance then. It gives light then. You need this as your foundation so that you can make decisions based on on principle from God's words. He knew it was everlasting. That's that's a great comfort because we see everything that changes. I, I mean, we can look at governments that pass away, dynasties that have passed away, new laws that come and go. I mean, I mean, you can see all the changes in our nation. Changes so, I mean, we can look at um, the founding pastor. Pastor Roach is the founding pastor of this church. He graduated from Tennessee Temple. And boy, that, that, that university going back to the 60s and 70s was putting out so many pastors in this nation and missionaries throughout the world. It doesn't even exist today. It began changing really late 70s, early 80s. Change began to come into play. Some professors coming in. No, no, no one of the first things they began questioning, by the way? God's Word. God's Word. Know what was taking place? A new foundation was coming in. And it was sand. Just a matter of time before it crumbled. Listen, in your own personal life, you've got to settle this, and God is right. He's right. His Word is right. And He's faithful to it. And it's truth. In other words, in truth, what I mean by that, it does give you guidance and direction. You have to be settled on that. 
Point number two. First one was the foundation that we see here in the life of the psalmist. But then as a result of this foundation, what we see is the force, and what I mean by that is the effect of God's word on his life. Let's go to verse 139 through 141. My zeal hath consumed me because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. I am small and despised, yet do I not forget thy precepts. This is really, I love what this produces right here. The foundation's in place. Remember context here. He's in the midst of a huge battle, whatever it is, in his life. It's very difficult. This battle isn't over weeks or months. Whatever's taking place is over years. And the first effect or force it has on his life because of this foundation is zeal. My zeal hath consumed me because my enemies have forgotten thy words. I mean, here he talks about this zeal he has. How It's almost like he's, well, what he is, not almost like, jealous for the Lord in such a good way, the way it should be in place, that it consumed him. He had saw how his enemies had forgotten God's word. He saw how they ignored the Creator. He saw how they had in no way sought guidance from God's word whatsoever. And even in that, the zeal was consuming him for God and for his word. It's showing the effect this foundation had on his life. When he looked at the conduct of his enemies, he wasn't worried about what wrong they did to him or what was taking place or what was their next plan or what are they going to do next. What he knew, what he knew that they're offending God. It's showing what he's learning through this process. He is learning more and more as his zeal was consuming him for God. That life wasn't about him, that it was about God. And he knew that was in place in his life. Even if whatever took place, even if it seems as if his enemies would win, it didn't matter because he's understanding life is all about God. He knew others have left it, others have went astray, others have turned from it that knew it at one point in time, but he stayed faithful. He had a great zeal that consumed him. Consumed him for the Lord, knowing, and this would help him actually in some ways to be helped to his enemies if that ever presented itself, because he's saying he, he had this, again, almost like a jealousy, a zeal for God that even when he saw others that, that were missing it it, it, it was, it, it was, I mean, it was almost as if, his, as if his heart broke for him. His zeal consumed him because he understood life is all about God. They're missing this. So the First thing we see the effect it had, it produced a zeal. Secondly, it produced a love. Look at verse 140. Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Boy, did he have a love for God's word. I mean, and you could see the love growing because of how it is helping him. What this foundation is doing for him in his life. And the love is growing for him. He sees how pure it is. I mean, this is, he knows this is it. This is incredible. It's perfect. It's pure. He admired it. He delighted in it. He sought to follow it. He longed for it, to clean him, to help him. He saw how incredible it was, and it really is. I mean, it boggles my mind at times, those who ignore how obvious that this book is, in fact, the Word of God. 
How they ignore the time frame in which it was written over this 1600 years written by 40 different authors from kings to fishermen to shepherds to tax collectors. I mean, you name it across the board, all with the same thing, with the same point, with the same direction throughout. It is incredible. The, the, how, the percentage, I can't remember now, was it 39% of this is, uh, is prophetic in nature? Incredible. There's nothing like it. The, 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 the cross-reference and your ability to connect from all those different passages is mind-boggling. And he's saying, man, when I see how pure it is, man, I love it. What is it that has your heart or your love? Look what else it produced the third thing here. Verse 141. I am small... And despised. Yet do not I forget thy precepts. Something else. When, when you have the foundation in place from God's word. This will be produced. This will be a force in your life. It will lead to humility. I'm small. Man as you learn of God and the creator. Know, know what you learn? Just how small you are. How much more thankful you are for his grace. That he thinks on you. And by the way, just like he was despised in his day, when you make the decision to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and you're taking it serious, listen to me, you will be despised. That happens. We have an entire generation of Christians, many who I believe are genuinely converted, who are trying to get around this. They don't want to be despised by the world. They want to be accepted. Many times they make it about, uh, about claims of trying to build bridges of evangelism, but the truth is, it's about them trying to avoid the shame and reproach that comes with following the Lord Jesus Christ. When you follow the Lord, you will be despised. I remember I had no idea this was coming. I was preaching a, a graduation on the, on the island when I was in New Guinea. This was shortly before I left. It was near the end of my 12 years there. I think it was around year 10 or 11. And it was one of the major schools on the other side of the island, not too far from it. It was just like a two-hour drive, if I remember right. It was slow, though. This, we're going like five miles an hour. Um, it's not a sealed road. And I was to preach the graduation. And so I'm there, and the graduations are huge, therefore. There's, there's, I mean, even though we're in the small villages, there's still about 700 people there. And uh, so I, I am up, I'm up on the platform, and they have a list of speakers. It's a graduation, I am pre- and they always bring in a preacher for it. I, I did a few of them there. They'll have different people speak. And so next to me is a man who's, who, who I, I never really sat down and had a conversation with him before this day, but just hello and just quick things during my years there. He was running for uh, political office to be the political parliament member for the Namatanai area. And he did not win, which was really good. Um, but we, I, I didn't know the guy despised me. I had no clue. All right, so we're sitting there. He's acting all friendly with me. We're talking, you know, the different speakers. He is speaking right before I do, before I preach. So he gets up to speak, and oh my goodness, now it came out really clear. He did not like me. He probably used, I don't know, Marianne will tell you, probably a quarter of his time to bash me. We don't need these missionaries here. We can do this. I mean, he was appealing to nationalism within his speech is what he was doing before the villages. And I am just there like, oh, wow. 
And, uh, and then he got down and acted all normal. I'm like, how can you do that? How does that work? And, uh, but the village, actually the leadership of the village was fantastic. I got up, preached. We had really good response to the preaching that day. And then the villagers sent men the next day to my house to apologize for what took place. They said, we had no idea that was going to happen. But the truth is, if you're following the Lord when you're at work and where you're at, or even before family, you can expect to be despised. We see here, though, how this, this psalmist stayed humble. He knew how small he was. He says, you know what? I don't have to worry about those who despise, despise me. I am small. Because if you start thinking greater of yourself than you are, those that despise you will control you. But humility was in place. Pride is not taking him away from God. He's not allowing the fact, because if pride was controlling him, this despising that was taking place would be affecting his pride. How dare you despise me? I'm small. I get it. And when you do have that love for God's word and this foundation in place, every single time, an effect will be humility. It produced zeal that consumed him. A love for God's word, it produced humility. I like what Spurgeon said about those couple of verses I just read. Let me quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said, His enemies made no account of him, speaking of the psalmist, regarded him as a man without power or ability, and therefore looked down upon him. He appears to accept the situation and humbly take the lowest room. But he carries God's word with him. He goes on to say, how many a man has been driven to do some ill action in order to reply to the contempt of his enemies? To make himself conspicuous. He has either spoken or acted in a manner which he could not justify. The beauty of the psalmist's piety was that it was calm and well-balanced. And he was not carried away by flattery. So he was not overcome by shame. That's a good point. Do you understand what he's saying there? If small, he the more jealously attended to the smaller duties. And if despised, he was the more in earnest to keep the despised commandments of God. Great thoughts on that verse. Now, thirdly, I'll cover this quickly. The fruit or results of God's word. This is 143, 144. Trouble and anguish have taken hold on me. This, this is, this, look how this reads. This is my favorite verse in this section. I even actually titled this after this right here. This yet right here. Trouble and anguish have taken hold on me. That's his reality. Yet... Thy commandments are my delights. The righteousness of thy testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding and I shall live. I want you to see two uh, pieces of fruit, two kinds of fruit, excuse me, that are produced as a result of this foundation in his life. All right? Two that he gives us here. 143, we see the delight. Trouble and anguish have taken hold on me, yet thy commandments are my delight. I mean, here he is in incredibly difficult circumstances, and he knows, it's as if he's saying this, he's surprised. 
I, I'm facing troubles and trials. I, don't, I mean, I see what God has given me to accomplish. I'm, I'm having trouble accomplishing it. The battles are real. This isn't easy. I mean, it seems like somebody's fighting me at every single point. And, and, and he, 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 you would think he would just be overwhelmed. But he says, yet I have the light. As if he's surprised by that. But he knew it was a result of the foundation that was in his life. Yet, I have delight. Trouble and anguish are all around me. Yet, I have delight. Do you know, when you have the right foundation in place, how you'll be able to... I see everything that's taking place right now. I, I mean, I don't know how many people I've talked with just like that. I'm telling them, they see everything that's happening, and, and they're so down, they're so out. But we should be the yet group. We should be the ones, yet, I have delight. Twice he used that phrase. All that's going on, yet he still has joy. What he understood was this. It's one of the keys to success. It's one of the keys to life. That joy in life is not determined by circumstances. It is determined on how, on how your relationship is with the Creator. Then the second piece, uh, kind of fruit that was produced. He had delight despite circumstances. We see that in 143. Then the second fruit that was produced in 144. Proper perspective. Let me read that verse. The righteousness of thy testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding and I shall live. Now, as we go through all these verses here, he's, he's telling us what he believes, what he's concluded, what he thinks about God's word, his humility is in place. And then he finishes with a prayer. Now, let me ask you a question. Does he have trouble and anguish on every side? He does. It's everywhere. Does he pray about that? Thy righteousness of thy testimonies is everlasting. Now, there are times in here that he certainly will. But we're dealing with this section of text, and boy, is this important. He says, give me understanding. Now listen, and I shall live. Look what he discovered, the key to handling all the trouble and anguish. It was not a direct prayer, God, remove it. It wasn't. It was no. He just got done proclaiming about the testimonies of God, the word of God. It's everlasting. Lord, I know what I need. I know what I need. Here's my prayer. Give me understanding of thy word. Give me understanding. Now what that shows is, now let me tie this together. What that shows is, is this foundation in place gave him a proper perspective. He knew what he, I mean this is a man who could actually almost step aside from what he is looking at and what he is facing and see, wait, this, it's kind of like in Romans 8 where the Spirit of God many times has to make intercession for us because we don't even know what to pray for. And what he understood, he was getting to a place in his life where he's not saying, God, remove it. He's saying, God, I know what I need. I don't know why it's going on. I don't know why you've delivered me from it. But this I know. I simply need understanding of your word because that's where it's at. He had proper perspective on life. Understanding that it was all about God. Praying for the ability to continue to use God's word in his life. To continue to have understanding. That was the source of his strength. 
Strength would not come if God simply removed the battle. Strength would come when he had understanding of God's word. Now think about this. With all that's taking place, which, and this prayer demonstrates that, it would have been so easy to be consumed with self. Lord, I'm trying to serve you. You're not helping. He could have turned this into a massive pity party. He could have turned into the eternal victim. Lord, I'm trying. You're not helping. You're not helping. But because the foundation had him focused on God, he avoided that trap. And when he prays, Lord, I know what I need. I know. Because what he understood is God is right. And he knows this. God might not remove this. And so he understood that. So he understood based on the foundation he had. So he had the right perspective on how to pray. Lord, what I need is understanding. Your word is everlasting. That's what it's all about. Please, Give me understanding of it. This is how the man is able to be successful with all that he's facing. But it all starts with that foundation of knowing God is right. Of knowing God is faithful to his word. And knowing that his word is what gives direction. It's truth. It gives guidance. It gives light. And it's from there we see the force that it had on its life to the fruit that it produced. This is how you begin to practically use God's word. See, many times we hear, but then you're faced with something come Monday at work, and you forget God is in control. You choose not to use it. He's in control. He is. He's always right. He is. Allow that to be foundational in your life. And then you begin to see that love for God's word grow. A zeal beginning to consume you for God. Beginning to see fruit produced in your life of, of a proper perspective of delight regardless of circumstances in life. It's what it's all about with heads bowed and eyes closed. Now, this message was for Christians, for those who have been converted. So my question for you this morning is, have you been converted? You say, well, what do you mean by that? You see, one day you're going to stand before God in judgment. You will. God Almighty will judge you. And the problem is, and this is the biggest problem you face in life, is you're going to be found guilty at this judgment. The judgment, according to Romans 2, is based upon God's law. So he's going to judge you based upon his law, and you've broken it. You have lied. You have coveted. You have put things before God. You have used God's name in vain. You've broken God's law. Now, here's your problem. 100% of those found guilty are cast into a lake of fire. Every single one. Revelation chapter 20 and 21. At judgment day. 
You see, something needs to happen where somehow it looks as if you have never broken God's law. That is why God, 2,000 years ago, became a man. Why the Lord Jesus Christ was here on this earth. That was God in the flesh, living as a man. And as a man, get this, know what he did? He lived the perfect life. The only one who can go to judgment day and the Father could say, you're innocent, I find no fault. He is the one who lived the perfect life. But get this, he lived that perfect life for you. You see, when he went to the cross, the most incredible transaction in all of human history took place. The Bible teaches us that he placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ all of our sin, your sin. As if he became the liar, the murderer, the adulterer, the coveter, the idolater, the blasphemer. It was placed upon him. And God the Father judged him in your place. And that satisfied the justice of the Creator for the sins of mankind. But Jesus, who is God, did not stay in hell. He defeated death and rose again from the dead on the third day. Now at the same time he takes your sin, the Bible teaches us, he gives you his righteousness, his perfect life. Think about that. He takes your sin and he gives you his perfect life. So it's as if you're the one who lived the perfect life and as if he's the one who lived your life. The death on the cross satisfied the justice that was essential before a just God in order to save you. But he gives you his perfect life. This is how he can save you from that judgment day. The Lord Jesus Christ did die for you. He faced your judgment and defeated it when he rose again the third day. If you'll come to him in repentance and faith, he'll save you. It is a gift. It's not baptism. It's not good works. It's if you'll simply place your faith in Christ alone. He will save you. Is there anyone in here who say, Pastor, I need that. I don't know what's going to happen to me. Please pray for me. Please just put your hand up where I can see it so I can pray for anybody here like that. Just slide your hand up. I see some small children that, that raise their hand. If, if, if you did put up, I missed it. I would need you to do it again. All right, Christian. Boy, in this psalmist, we see some key things to be foundational in our life. We saw what effect, what force it will have, and what fruit it can produce. If the Lord worked on your heart, you come and pray. Father in heaven, bless this invitation, Lord. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Turn to page 301 in the hymn book. 301, if you need to come and pray, you come and pray.